Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this most wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to lift our voices and, and praise into your name today. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we, we gather around your word and, Lord, as we consider um, your son, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would teach us through your word. Lord, I pray that uh, you would empower me now this morning through your spirit. You know, Lord, everything I say uh, would be your words. It would be your thoughts. And Lord, I pray that we would be refreshed and blessed by your word today and that we'd leave singing your praises and giving all glory and honor unto your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, it's that wonderful time of the year. It's Christmas time, the time where... As believers especially, we take time to remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, or if you like, the incarnation of Christ, to use a more technical term. And we often turn our attention to uh, the start of Matthew's Gospel and, of course, the start of Luke's Gospel, where we find the familiar Christmas story. You know, we spend time thinking about the the story and remembering how, you know, uh, the Virgin Mary conceived uh, miraculously, as the Holy Spirit came upon her. We remember how Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem and there was no room in the inn, and so uh, the Lord Jesus was born and laid in a manger. We remember the shepherds keeping watch over their flock and how the angel appeared and declared the wonderful news of the Savior's birth. We remember the wise men and their journey from the east as they came to bring gifts unto this one born in Bethlehem. Of course, these are the familiar Christmas events, aren't they? The familiar story from Matthew and Luke's Gospels. The familiar, wonderful Christmas story. But you know, John, he also records for us the incarnation of Christ. And he does so in one verse, verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John here refers to Christ as the Word, and he says the Word was made flesh. And so John uh, declares for us very simply, very concisely here, that the Word, the Lord Jesus, became flesh and blood became a man. He declares the incarnation of Christ. You know, unlike Matthew and Luke, uh, John doesn't spend a great deal of time uh, looking at all the events that lead up to that, okay, all the things that took place for Christ to come. Instead, John merely states it as fact. He just says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Instead, what John does is he takes the first five verses here of his Gospel to present clearly for us who this one actually is. Who this one, born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, truly is. Now the commentator Butler writes this, these five verses are a literary gem and give us the best capsule identity of Jesus Christ found anywhere. As a unit, they give us the greatest introductory statement about Christ found in the scriptures. Indeed, these five verses, and we know these verses well, I'm sure, but these five verses are truly wonderful, glorious verses. And they answer for us the question, who is this man, Jesus? 
Notice firstly here that John tells that he is the, the eternal Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John's Gospel begins with the words, In the beginning. And of course, this is the same expression that we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so Genesis begins with the words, in the beginning. John's gospel begins with these exact same words, in the beginning. And in both places, it refers to the same thing. It refers to the beginning of time itself, the beginning of creation, the beginning of everything we see around us. In Genesis, uh, the writer of Genesis, Moses, he continues from this point of beginning to go forward, doesn't he? Okay, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and he goes forward from there, and he tells us of the six days of creation. So he starts with the beginning, and he goes forward in time. But John, John goes in the other direction, doesn't he? He says, in the beginning was the Word. And so he goes in the other direction. He tells us what was already in existence. What was? And he declares here, in the beginning was the Word. As I said before, the Word, of course, here is referring to Jesus, referring to the Christ. And so in the beginning was the Word. Before the world we see around us, before this great universe was created, before even time itself, the Word existed. And so we see clearly the pre-existence of Christ. Okay, the fact that he existed before all else. But much more than that, John is also declaring for us here the eternality of Christ. The eternality of Christ. The word was here, where it says in the beginning was the word. That word was is in the imperfect tense in the Greek. And it denotes for us continued action in past time. Continued action in past time. And so John is declaring for us that the word, Christ, continuously existed in past, in eternity past. Continually existed before the beginning occurred. You see, he's not just another created being. He's not just another created being. He wasn't formed or made by God the Father. He has always existed. He is eternal. Of course, this is not the only place where we see this, this truth uh, taught. Let's just go over to Revelation. We see Christ himself make a declaration about his eternality. Revelation chapter 1. <clears throat> In Revelation 1 verse 8, Lord Jesus speaking, he says, I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now here Christ says that he is the Alpha and Omega. Alpha, of course, is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. And so Christ is declaring that he is the first and the last. He is the beginning and he is the ending. It's another clear statement of his eternality. It's equivalent to him saying that he has always existed and he will always continue to exist. His pre-existence, his post-existence, 
And Christ is self-existent. He exists in and of himself. He is eternal. Now, if we go back to John chapter 1, as we read on in verse 1, we see that in eternity past, Jesus had a relationship with the Father. In verse 1 there, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and so that's talking about his eternality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. John declares that the word Christ was with God in eternity past. This phrase tells us that while Jesus is eternal, he is distinct from the Father. This is a difficult concept for us to fully understand, but it's what it's declaring here. That he is eternal and he is distinct from the Father. He was with God the Father. He had a relationship in eternity past with God the Father. Butler notes this, that that... The word with here in the Greek denotes more than merely being near or beside, but as, li- sorry, but as a living union and communion. John's statement is that the divine word not only abode with the Father from all eternity, but was in the living, active relation or communion with him. And so it's not just the idea that Jesus dwelt in eternity past with the Father, but it's this living, active communion, this intimate relationship that existed with God the Father. Now, it's emphasized the intimacy of this relationship. Some have translated this phrase here, the word was face to face with God. Face to face. You see, the point is the word Christ existed in the closest possible fellowship with God the Father. This was a relationship of love. The relationship of love that existed before anything else. It was there in the beginning. It's a relationship of love between God the Father and God the Son in eternity past. And Christ himself, he speaks about this relationship with the Father. Go over to John 17. In John 17 and verse 5, this is Christ again talking. He says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so Christ himself speaks about this relationship that he had with the Father before the world was. The glory which I had with thee before the world was. This relationship between God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus. And so we have this wonderful understanding that the word Jesus, this one born in Bethlehem, is eternal. He has always existed, and he's always existed with God the Father. But then John, John adds for us a final phrase here that makes it clear that he is also of the same essence as God the Father. Verse 1 again, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word was God. Was God. John declares that Jesus, the Word, not only was with God, but he was God. He is God. Now, this is one of the clearest statements in the Word of God of the deity of Christ. One of the clearest statements. Jesus Christ is distinct from the Father. We just saw that. He was with God. He had a relationship with the Father. He's a distinct person from the Father but he is not in any way less than fully God. He is fully God. He's of the same essence as God 
the Father. You see, the point is that this Jesus, this one we remember at Christmas time, this one born in Bethlehem, this one who became flesh and blood and dwelt among us, is indeed fully God. He possesses all of the divine attributes. You see, that means that he is eternal, as we've already seen. But more than that, he is also immutable, unchanging. He can never change. He is omniscient. He knows all things about everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. And he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. You see, everything that is true of the Father is true of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is equal with the Father in every divine perfection. He is indeed one with the Father. John chapter 10. Go over there, John 10. <clears throat> nice short little verse. John 10 verse 30. <clears throat> Christ says this. He says, I and my Father are one. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. They are one. They are equal in every divine perfection. More than that, they are one. You see, Jesus Christ, the Word, is fully God. You see, with these phrases here, at the start of John chapter 1, John introduces to us a, a difficult concept, doesn't he? This mystery of the Trinity. You know, he says the Word was with God, in relationship with God, but at the same time was God. He is God. See, John highlights for us this wonderful truth of the Trinity. The Bible teaches that there is one God, eternally existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and of course the third person, God the Holy Spirit. They are equal in essence, but distinct in function, or distinct in person. And so here, we're introduced to the Word, the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Son of God. And yet He chose to leave heaven's glory, to come to earth, and be clothed with the likeness of men. John secondly tells us that not only is he the eternal son of God, but he is also the creator. He is the creator. Look in verse 3. <clears throat> it says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John secondly identifies this one born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, as being the creator. In verse 3 it says, all things were made by him. All things, everything that we see around us was created by him. You see, he was not only there in the beginning with the Father, he was actively involved in creation. And this stresses for us yet again that Christ himself is not a created being, doesn't it? It stresses for us, he's not a created being, he is the creator himself. He is the one who made everything that we see around us. Everything we see in this universe came from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word made here in verse 3, it speaks of something being brought into existence to cause to be, to create out of nothing. You know, to bring something into existence out of nothing is something only God can do. And so once again, we see clearly the deity of Christ, don't we? We see that he is fully God. We see his omnipotent power. Now at the end of verse 3, we read on, it says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made 
that was made. Without him, apart from him. In other words, nothing came into existence apart from his influence and his power. It all came from him. It was all created by the Lord Jesus, our omnipotent Savior. And this is not, of course, the only passage where we see this truth. Go over to Colossians chapter 1 with me. Paul reiterates this truth that Christ is the creator. Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1 verse 16, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know, Paul here reiterates this truth. Verse 16, it states, all things were created by him. Created, that same idea, brought into existence by him. And Paul here makes it very clear, this includes everything. He says in verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. And so everything in heaven, everything on earth, and also everything in the spiritual realm, it was all created by Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. In verse 17, he adds the thought, he says, and he's before all things, and by him all things consist. And so not only is he the creator, but he is the sustainer of everything. It's by his power that this universe continues to exist. It's by his power that we continue to exist, the laws of physics, and all these things continue to, to work and to hold us in place. It's by his power. See, he sustains everything. He is the creator and the sustainer. Now, the fact that Christ, the eternal Son of God, created all things does not exclude God the Father from creating them as well, does it? You see, rather, once, once again, what it emphasizes for us is the fact that there is a oneness between Christ and the Father. They are one. But the writes this, God the Father and God the Son were inseparably associated in the creation so that it can be equally said that God created and Christ created. Likewise, Clark writes this. He says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God is said to have created all things. In this verse, Christ is said to have created all things. Therefore, Christ and the Father are one. You see, the work of creation, all that does is highlight for us once again the, the oneness, the unity that exists within the Godhead. They were both involved in the work of creation. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul, he speaks about this unity as they work together in creation. Ephesians 3. <clears throat> Ephesians 3 and verse 9. It says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by or through Jesus Christ. And so here we see the idea of the Father and the Son working together in creation. God the Father is said to have created by Jesus Christ. All things by Him, through Him, together. 
We also know from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, don't we? Yeah, verse 2 of Genesis 1 says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The point is that the whole Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are together the Creator. They work together in creation to bring all things into existence. And so this one that we remember at Christmas time, the Lord Jesus, born in Bethlehem, He is the eternal Son of God and He is also the Creator. He is our Creator. And then thirdly, John tells us that He is the Saviour. He is the Saviour. Look in verse 4 of John chapter 1. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Further this morning we see that not only is this one born in Bethlehem, the eternal Son of God, not only is He the Creator of all, but He is also the Saviour, our Saviour. To emphasize this point, John here, he speaks about Christ as being light and life. These two ideas, light and life. Father writes this, Life and light are the opposite of death and darkness. Being life and light of men, Christ is therefore the very thing which men need most. He is the opposite of death and darkness. He is the solution to our problem. He is exactly what mankind needs the source of life and the source of lights. Let's consider these two ideas uh, individually, if you like. John, first of all, declares in verse 4, he says, in him was life. This is the declaration that Jesus, the Word, that he is the source of all life, and that means both physical life and also spiritual life. You know, as the Creator, which we've just seen, as the Creator, Christ is the source of physical life. Go back to Genesis chapter 2 with me. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God created man. God breathed into man the breath of life. The Lord Jesus, as we said, is the creator involved in creation. Physical life comes from God himself, comes from Christ, the creator. But of course, more importantly here, as the savior, Christ is the source of spiritual life. Spiritual life which we all need if we're going to have fellowship with God once more. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see the terrible state that mankind is in. Ephesians 2, just turn over there. Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead, in trespasses and sins. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says that mankind is dead in trespasses and sins. We are dead without Christ. Without Him, there is no life. Mankind is spiritually dead, lost, and on the way to eternity, separate, separate from God in the lake of fire. 
This is, of course, the result of Adam and Eve's sin back in the garden, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, we're told that the punishment for sin was death. Just go back there, Genesis 2. I know we're turning to a lot of verses this morning, but bear with me. Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verse 17. All of a start in verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. The punishment. God said to them, when they, if they disobeyed and they partook of the, the one tree they were not allowed to eat of, the punishment was death. And it was immediate death. It was immediate spiritual death, immediate separation from God. That fellowship would be broken. And of course, when Eve partook of that fruit and gave unto Adam, that's exactly what happened. Spiritual death came upon all mankind. We are all born into this state. We are all spiritually dead, lost and on our way to hell. But here... John declares for us the wonderful truth that the reason Christ came was to give us life. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the creator of all, he came to earth, he left heaven's glory, came to earth so that we might have life. In him was life. Now this is something that Christ himself declares in John chapter 10. John 10, verse 10, says this, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This is why Christ came. This is the whole reason why we have Christmas. The whole reason why the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby born in Bethlehem is so that we might have life. And we might have it more abundantly. Eternal spiritual life. Fellowship with God once more. Be made alive. And of course this is all made possible because the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died there for us. He shed his blood. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And it's through faith in him and his finished work there on the cross. Believing on his name that we have life. John chapter 3 verse 36 we see that truth. John 3 John 3 36 it says he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. It all hinges on this whether we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if we believe then we have everlasting life. He that believeth not does not see life. The wrath of God abideth upon him. If we reject the Lord Jesus Christ, then we spend eternity separated from God. In a terrible place called the lake of fire. It's only through Christ that we have eternal life. You know, I wonder today, do you have that life? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you admitted your sin before God and called out in faith for Him to save you so that you might have that life? 
that's available through him. John also goes on and tells us in verse 4 that the life was the light of men. He says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So not only is the Lord Jesus Christ said to be the source of life, but he is also the light of men. He is the light that we need. In verse 5, we see the state the world is in, in darkness and in need, desperate need of light. It says, and the light shineth in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Darkness here speaks of ignorance, blinded by sin. Christ came into the world to bring light, to give light. He is, he is the one who reveals to us the Father. He is the one who opens our eyes to our sinful state, our need of the Father. He is the light of the world. Christ himself declares that in John 8. <clears throat> John chapter 8 and verse 12. <clears throat> John 8 verse 12, it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord Jesus himself, he declares that he is the light of the world. You see, without Christ, we stumble in darkness, ignorant of our sinful state, ignorant of our eternal destiny. Without Christ, we have no understanding of how to overcome our sin, how to restore that fellowship with God. It's only through Him, it's only when we receive Him that we have the light of life. As He says there, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's through Him that we have the light of life and we no longer stumble in the darkness of sin. But you know, the sad reality is that many still reject the light, don't they? Many still reject the light and they continue to stumble in darkness. We see that alluded to there in verse 5. It says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That word comprehended can have two meanings. You can look at it two ways. Of course, one of those ways here is the fact that darkness comprehended not the truth. It didn't understand, didn't grasp what Christ came to do. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're told that the God of this world is working actively to blind men to the truth. Just turn there, 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians 4, and we're starting verse 4. We're starting verse 3. Sorry, it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world, Satan, is working hard to blind men, to keep men in the dark to blind them to the truth of who Jesus is this Christmas, to keep them stumbling in the darkness of sin. You know, one thing Satan cannot do is stop the light from shining, and that's also implied there in that word comprehended. Darkness cannot overcome the light. 
Satan cannot overcome the light that's shining forth. He can do his best. He can work actively to keep men blinded. He can't stop the light. Christ indeed is the light. He came to earth to give light. And he alone is able to open the eyes of sinful men so they might see their need of salvation. I wonder today if you see your need of salvation. Have you received him and experienced the light of life? You know, this Christmas let us as believers remember and let us proclaim the wonderful truth that this one born in Bethlehem long ago, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, this one is indeed the eternal Son of God. He is our Creator. And yet He left heaven's glory. He humbled Himself, became a man, became flesh and blood, so that we might have life, and we might have light. Let's praise God this Christmas for Jesus. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word this morning. We thank You, Lord, for who the Lord Jesus really is eternal Son of God, the creator of all things, is come to give light and life. Lord, may you help us to remember these wonderful truths this Christmas. May we rejoice in the salvation that is ours through Christ. And may, Lord, we proclaim it unto others around us. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who has never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, has never acknowledged the fact that he is the eternal Son of God, he is the creator and acknowledge what he came to earth to do for them, to die on the cross in their place, to give them life, to give them light. Lord, I pray that today you work in their hearts, and that today they would see their need. Lord, you'd open their eyes to see the truth, so they might have eternal life. It's only found in you. Lord, bless as we close, and bless our time, over morning tea, in Jesus' name. Amen.